This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. And indeed, we welcome you on this third day of April 2023. Even though Sean Rotar is off today, I will use the plural we. Glad to have you. First full week in April. This really feels like spring, right? Some of the fellas, April Fool's Day comes and goes. Denny Bailey. Andrew Detmer on the other side of the glass. The hockey ambassador, Marty Richardson, will join us. 3.15, we'll talk some abs. Talk about the Willie O'Ree Award, for which Marty is a candidate in 2023. And other subjects along the way. We'll get to the Nuggets in just a second. But I want to ask either of you two guys, did you get got? On April Fool's Day. I did not. You did not get you. I did not. Um, was there an attempt to get you on April Fool's Day? Well, I wasn't. Saturday. Yeah, I wasn't on social media too much. I feel like that's where a lot of them happen these days, right, Sandy? So uh, I wasn't oh, yeah. paying too much attention to Twitter or anything like that on Saturday. And I think that did me well now, because I you? didn't run into that. I'm 29. Isn't it a requirement that those in their 20s? Pay attention to social media at all times. Yeah, but I'm a rule breaker. I'm a rule breaker, Sandy. I don't always follow the rules. You're always supposed to be following social media. Well, that's good that you didn't get got. I got got. Oh, really? By what? It wasn't a major yet. But I fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. You know, this time of year, the teams, other than UConn and San Diego State, who play tonight, by the way, for the national championship, Everybody is pretty much fully immersed in off-season activity, and that includes decisions by players as to whether to turn pro, and we've seen some of that already. We've heard big news. Hunter Dickinson, the big setter from Michigan, is going into the transfer portal. We hear news about that. And where I got got was uh, on Saturday morning, a friend of mine, big Duke fan, somehow put together uh, some kind of text that suggested that uh, Caleb Love, the North Carolina guard, was transferring to Duke. Now, uh, North Carolina didn't make the tournament this year, and Caleb Love, who was one of the North Carolina heroes at this time a year ago as they made their way to the championship game and had a 15-point lead on Kansas at halftime, he had a terrible year this year. So the the idea that he would transfer, I'm not even sure he had any or has any eligibility left. I assume he does because of all the COVID stuff. Yeah, it's it seems all a like even fifth year seniors, year. right, have extra years that they could take. Jalen Wilson, for example, the junior uh, forward at Kansas, it, it technically has two years of eligibility left. He's not going to take either one of them. But technically, he has two years. I'm thinking, how on earth he he's been there since I was a you know non-senior citizen. Let's put it that way. But uh, he has years of eligibility left. So I, I I guess I went right over thinking, well, it, it's weird, but I guess it's conceivable he could have eligibility left, and 
He absorbed a lot of criticism this year. But I couldn't imagine a North Carolina guy transferring. As it turns out, it was Especially complete nonsense. Complete of all places, yeah. Complete and total nonsense. But being the, the technical illiterate that I am, I, I focused on the message and I said, well, th- this looks authentic enough to me. Now, that, that's why I came to you as a 29-year-old social media savant. And I am disappointed to learn that apparently you, you are as disinterested as I am, although undoubtedly more sophisticated. When you choose to engage on social media, you know how to do it. I, I wouldn't have any idea. And as those of you who have been listening to me for any length of time know, it would be a very bad idea uh, for me to be on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, any form of social media because nothing but trouble uh, could arise from that. Uh, but uh, anyway, that way I, I did get got a little bit uh, over the weekend and yet now we're onto the first full week of April. Uh, the Rockies split their opening series in San Diego. We await their home opener on Thursday after a two game series in Los Angeles against the Dodgers. And I'm, I'm thinking, how many undefeated teams are there in Major League Baseball? Are there two? I think they made it. Andrew's telling me three. Three, okay. Three undefeated teams in Major League Baseball. Out of 30. Which you generally get, don't you? The the first series of the year, everybody plays. And, of course, with 15 teams in each league, you have to have an interleague series at least one interleague series going on. And this first weekend of 2023, it happened to be, I think, the Yankees and the San Francisco Giants. But uh, virtually everyone won or lost at least one game in Major League Baseball. And that includes the Rockies, who split their four in San Diego. And I guess if you're to look for a takeaway, it would be the fact that they got three quality starts out of Marquez, Freeland, and Gomber yesterday. Uh, the Saturday night start did not go especially well, and yet I, I think there are signs that the Rockies may, certainly by their standards, have a representative top three in the rotation. But we're going to start today. We're going to talk about the Nuggets a little bit, and I want to get your feedback uh, on this as uh, the caller and text line here are 303-831-1340 for Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM and 107.5 HD3. You can stream on milehighsports.com slash listen and the free MHS app. Danny Bailey, as you've heard, our uh, producer along with Andrew Detmer and uh, 303-831-1340 is uh, the number. My question to lead off, and uh, I'll give you my opinion on this in a few moments the nuggets now have a magic number of one to clinch for the first time ever as an nba franchise first place in the western conference never been a first place overall team they've they won division titles before but never have they been a number one seed in the west so this will be a new experience undoubtedly they will win one of their remaining games They have four left at Houston tomorrow night, Thursday night 
in Phoenix, Saturday night in Utah, and they wrap up the regular season against the Sacramento Kings here on April 9th. And then they get, as Michael Malone pointed out, and this may explain why the Nuggets are choosing to rest slash protect some of their starters in Phoenix the other night. Aaron Gordon was the only starter who played. Porter was held out. Murray was held out. Caldwell Pope was held out. And Jokic seems to have a legitimate calf injury uh, that they don't believe to be serious, but he would be susceptible to aggravating such an injury at some point prior to the playoffs. And last night's game notwithstanding, the Nuggets are in big trouble against most anybody if Jokic doesn't play. But what I took out of the game, and Danny, I want your feedback on this too, and Andrew can jump in if so inclined, or if he thinks you're full of it, then he can jump in, as always. Um, There's one team that I think if the Nuggets had to play them in the first round, that they might be able to beat without Nikola Jokic playing at all in the series. One team. It's the team they played last night. Now, that is with the proviso that Andrew Wiggins does not return for the Golden State Warriors. And if Andrew Wiggins were to return, not only would Golden State be a threat to the Nuggets or anybody else in the West, even a fully Nugget team comprised of healthy players would be challenged in such a scenario. But if you watched the game last night or followed it by some other means, you can see that what the Golden State Warriors were at the beginning of the year, they are at the end of the year. Yeah, they're the defending champs for a reason. They, and I- are, they are the defending champs. But at the beginning of the year, remember, people were saying, well, they, you know, they're bored and these games don't matter. And they started three and four in October and they were only a 500 team going into December and they were, uh, what, 19 and 18 going into the new year. And you're thinking, oh, well, they'll get it going at, at some point. They're just bored now. They, they they can't get up for 82 games, but, they, but they'll turn it on toward the end of the year because you don't want to be involved in the playing tournament. I don't care if you're the defending champion. You, you don't want to put your playoff status on the line for one or maybe two games. But they, I think, I think they are who they are for this year anyway. Yeah, they look to me like an old, tired, out of shape, and significantly bored team. That's how they look to me. And unless Wiggins comes back, he could inject some life into it. But unless he comes back, I I don't think that changes. Yeah, the reports that I've seen today are that he should be back at some point this week. 
So then in what capacity, how many minutes is he playing? How ready is he after missing 20 plus games and dealing with a family matter that probably took a Apparently. considerable emotional toll Apparently. as well. Apparently. Um, so yeah, Wiggins makes them a totally different team. The other thing about last night that makes me not feel great considering they only won by two points is the Warriors were dreadful from their biggest strength last night, and that's shooting beyond the three-point line. Correct. So Correct. when they have a down game like that and the Nuggets just squeaked by, albeit without Nikola Jokic, that's... That's uh, that's not giving you a whole lot of confidence. Well, it, it wasn't just the bad shooting. I mean, that that jumped out because how of many course. times are of you course. going to see Thompson and Curry go 17 for 57 from the field or whatever it was? Something absurd like that. They're not going to have too many games like that. But why in a, in a game that meant a hell of a lot more to Golden State? Right, than it meant to Denver because if Golden State wins that game, they're, they're still in sixth place having lost that game. But if they win that game, they pretty much clinched sixth, and they'd still be right there. In fact, if they had won last night, they would have moved ahead of the Clippers for fifth. Now, I think the first four set as they are right now: Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, Phoenix. But the Clippers and Golden State, that that's still up for grabs. They both have 41-38 records. Clippers have the tiebreaker. Uh, the Nuggets are 7-0 and against both teams. So my contention is, having lost a game that meant more to them than it meant to the Nuggets without Jokic last night and trailing by 10 after one quarter, the fact that they lost that game would tell me, one, if I'm the Nuggets, I know they crushed us in the playoffs. But this isn't last year. And if we had to play them in the first round, we'd have home court advantage. And sure, Jokic would figure to dominate the series because they don't really have a center. And I'm not I'm not exaggerating. They really don't have anything resembling a real center. They they have Green who can defend centers, but he can't defend Jokic for 35 minutes a night. Yeah, and even if you put Kavon Looney in with his height to try to match Jokic, right. he's not doing anything to slow him down either. Exactly right. But what we saw last night was Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon could dominate Golden State on the inside too. And I will say this. I am not the president of the Michael Porter Jr. fan club by any means. I thought the game he played last night now, it wasn't the biggest game he'd ever played in, but it was a game of some consequence because by winning the game, the Nuggets essentially put away the competition for first place in the West because Memphis lost and Sacramento lost yesterday. So that combination, Memphis losing and Sacramento losing, meant with the Nuggets win, all they have to do is beat Houston tomorrow night, and it's officially over. And even if 
they don't do that, they've got three other chances, even if Memphis wins out. And I'm looking at Memphis's schedule. And they're at Chicago, home against Portland, at New Orleans, at Milwaukee, and at Oklahoma City. I don't think they're going to win all those games. And I look at Sacramento's remaining schedule, San Antonio at New Orleans, at Dallas, Golden State at Denver. Listen, the Nuggets are five up with with four to play. Sacramento's out of it anyway. Sacramento can't finish first. Sacramento could still conceivably finish second. But if I'm the Nuggets, I look at that game last night and how well Porter played and how much he dominated, particularly in the third quarter last night when the Nuggets basically took over the game. They went from, what, three points behind at half to two points ahead. But I I thought the shift was much greater than that five-point differential would suggest. I I thought the Nuggets had control of the game going into the fourth quarter. And as you might suspect, they had a big lead in the final minutes and almost blew it. Thompson they tried, had yeah. two three-pointers they to win it. Chance. The second one was blocked by Murray, or at least tipped by Murray, so uh, it wasn't particularly close. But there were two shots to lose the game, and uh, Thompson happened to miss both uh, shots and get the latter one blocked. But I'm thinking, speaking of the Clippers in Golden State, if I'm the Nuggets, the Clippers are fifth. Golden State sixth, the Lakers are seventh, and New Orleans eighth. It's no guarantee, but chances are in the first round of the playoffs, the Nuggets are going to play one of those four teams. And I want to get your reaction listening, as well as Danny's reaction to this. If I'm the Nuggets, I would rather play either the Clippers or Golden State as opposed to the Lakers or New Orleans. The Lakers, right now, have gone 11-5 and five in their last 16 games. And some of those games they played without LeBron. Anthony Davis is playing as well as he has played. And just the fact that he's playing is big news. But he is playing as well as he has played since the bubble when the Lakers beat the Nuggets. And I thought more so than LeBron, Anthony Davis was the star and in many ways the difference in that five-game series that the Lakers won four games to When Anthony Davis is healthy, he's one of the most dominant players in the league. And he's been, (laughs) I'm sure, knock on wood from a Laker perspective. He's been healthy for a little while now. Usually it's a week, 10 days, two weeks maybe, and then he gets nicked again and has to miss at least a game or two. At least a game or two. But but now he's sustained good health, or at least he's been able to manage his health well enough so that he's playing game in and game out and playing with one or two exceptions extraordinarily well. That's the Anthony Davis who's first-team All-NBA on, on the basis of his present form. So I, now that LeBron's back, the, the Lakers, to me, are dangerous. And New Orleans, with the idea that does Zion come back this week and sneak in a couple of games before the playoffs begin, 
and they're going well. I think they're better, at least right now. New Orleans and the Lakers are better than the Clippers and Golden State. So to the extent that the Nuggets could manipulate last night, it made sense to really go all out and beat Golden State so Golden State slides out of fifth or sixth and down to seventh or eighth where conceivably you could play them in the first round. And I'd feel the same way about the Clippers. Of course, the Nuggets are done now with both teams. They went 7-0 and against those two teams, against the Lakers in New Orleans 4-4. And people think I'm crazy for saying this. Well, what about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George? Well, Paul George is hurt. Golden State, well, whoa, if Wiggins comes back, yes, that would make a difference. But what about Curry, Thompson, and Green? That's a nucleus of four championship teams. But I don't think they've got it. And I think the frustration from Steve Kerr and the underlying reason he picked up a tee last night, I, I think he's fit to be tied. I don't believe he can get through to this team anymore. It's been however many games they played. 79, right? 41 and 38. If they're a above 500 team, it won't be by much. That's the team I want to play. Or, or the Clippers in the first round of the playoffs as opposed to the Lakers or New Orleans. What do you think about that? And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Avs and maybe the coaching decision of the year that was made by Jared Bednar in the midst of the Avs win over Dallas Saturday night. That's coming next. Stay with us. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy Clough with you. Sean is off today. He'll be rejoining us tomorrow. This is Mile High Sports 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3, 303-831-1340 for all callers and texters. As always, streaming on milehighsports.com slash listen and the free Mile High Sports app. Danny Bailey, Andrew Detmer, our producers. And in about 45 minutes, give or take, we'll be visiting with Marty Richardson of Dog Nation, the uh, hockey ambassador, philanthropist. Marty does great work on uh, all levels of hockey here in the state and throughout the region. And uh, he's a fun guy to talk to. We'll uh, get into the abs a little bit, get some of his thoughts. Uh, Marty and Milan Hayduke are good friends. And the other night, among uh, other things accomplished by the avalanche, Miko Rantan picked up his 49th goal, now one goal shy of 50, and he would be the first avalanche skater to reach 50 goals in a season since Milan Hayduk did it. Of course, Joe Sackick uh, here in Denver did it a couple of times during the Avalanche's two Stanley Cup seasons, 1995-96 and 2000-2001, but uh, Hayduk was the most recent Av to hit 50 goals, and Ranton hit the empty net, 
with a with a very nice empty net goal. Usually, empty net goals are kind of perfunctory. You know, you're shooting the puck into an open net. Uh, usually, on the attacking side of the red line. But he shot it from inside his own blue line. And he roofed it off the crossbar and down. And I don't know that I've seen an empty net goal scored quite like that before. But the big point in the game came at 9.06 of the third period the other night. Avs in a must-win game against Dallas. They were playing for first place earlier last week against the Minnesota Wild. They lost the game. And Saturday night, they were playing for second place and home ice advantage, and also, thanks to Las Vegas, playing for a chance to stay very much alive in the race for first place in the Central Division. So they're up 3-1. And Dallas has seemingly scored at 9.06 to make it a 3-2 game. And Jared Bednar elected to use his coach's challenge, which is maybe a little more interesting in hockey because if you challenge and you're wrong, there is a more significant penalty for doing that than the loss of a timeout, right? In the NBA, you lose your timeout. If you call timeout and challenge, you lose the timeout if your challenge is unsuccessful. In the National Football League, same thing. You challenge, the challenge is not upheld, you lose a timeout. But in hockey, you challenge a goal, as Bednar did the other night, you not only have the goal count if the challenge is unsuccessful, obviously, but you also are shorthanded for the next two minutes. And in this case, you're shorthanded against arguably the best power play in the league. The Dallas Stars have a terrific power play, and let's just say over the last couple of years, to be sure, avalanche penalty killing has not been an avalanche strength. So this is a pivotal point because there is real risk, not only in the goal counting, make a 3-2 game, but then sending them out on the power play. So Bednar makes the challenge. And the other risk is that in the equivalent of about two-thirds of a hockey season, 54 games, the Avalanche have not won a coach's challenge. Not once over a 54-game So 10.54 remains in the game, and he challenges on the notion that Ryan Suter of the Stars interfered indirectly with Alexander Georgiev by shoving Logan O'Connor into Georgiev. Now, O'Connor was very 
honest about it after the game. Usually the players say, well, of course. Of course I knew it wouldn't count. Of course he shoved me. Here's what O'Connor said. Honest kid. I was involved in the play, so I didn't really have a great sense of what was going to happen. Bit of a panic mode there. Now, I, I don't know if the panic mode was connected to the goal that had been scored or the challenge that would not only allow the goal to stand, but would put Logan O'Connor, for example, out there as a penalty killer for the next two minutes, or at least part of that time, the next two minutes, right? Conceivably, he's one of the Avalanche's top penalty killing forwards. But it worked out for the avalanche this time. And I don't think it's overstating the case to say at that particular juncture, maybe your season isn't entirely riding on that call because you could have lost the game and still in the remaining games this year, found a way to overtake at least Dallas, if not Dallas and Minnesota both in the Central Division. But it was a big play. And, you know, the, the goaltender's always going to dispute a goal like that. But the coach has to have more to go on. And though... The Avalanche have one of the best video coaches in the league. It's Bednar's call. And he said, and Bednar is as honest as O'Connor is, O'Connor said he was right at that instance, whether it was the goal that he thought might stand up or the prospect of the goal standing up and the Avalanche being shorthanded for the next two minutes with Dallas having a chance to tie the game at that point when it was just 3-1. to one, a few seconds earlier, here's what Bednar said. The second I saw it, I thought it was goalie interference. You can't go into the goalie on your own, and you can't force someone else in there. He has no chance at making that save when the rebound popped out. So I thought there was a really good chance it was getting turned over. And it did get turned over. What a difference, right? You're either up 3-2 and shorthanded for the next two minutes, or you're up 3-1 and you're playing at even strength, and they're probably a little deflated because they think they've scored. They think they're right back. Yeah, absolutely, especially right? you ride that high when you do score the goal. To have it taken away, it almost knocks you down to a lower level than you were before the goal was scored just because you've spent all that energy as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good thing that Bednar is doing this now, taking risks now, so that once you get to the games where it really might impact the outcome, maybe that becomes a little more comfortable of a decision and he's fine going with his gut again and just going with the fact that he saw it and it felt like goalie interference and sometimes yeah. you just have to pull the trigger. And he doesn't necessarily have the greatest view Although, certainly on the bench, you have the capacity to see the play again very quickly and have a much better view than you would have had live. 
and just watching it from the bench. But this is one of the reasons I think Bednar is not only a terrific coach, but he, he's a fascinating character to me because he can give off the image of being rather staid, even conservative. But there's a little touch of the riverboat gambler in Bednar, and I like that. And there's an element of radical trust that Bednar has in his players and that his players have in Bednar. That I don't believe I saw with several previous avalanche coaches to quite the same extent that I see it with Bednar. And I'm talking about three coaches in Mark Crawford, Bob Hartley, and Joe Quenville, who among the three of them have won five Stanley Cups. Now, Joe won his three in Chicago, but Crawford and Hartley won theirs in Denver. And they didn't run scared. But there weren't coaches challenges available to test the nerve of the coach back when they were on the bench. And that challenge is available to Bednar, and it's something that hasn't worked out. Not that they haven't challenged plays over the last 54 games, but not once over that span. Had it worked out for. And it worked the other night. And O'Connor might have gotten the understatement of the year award when he said after the game it could have been a momentum shift there. Could have been. Now, I'm not a huge believer in momentum. And maybe at some future point, Sean and I will talk about that. And You know, to me, you have momentum until you don't. But I think psychologically, in the minds of players, there are shifts in a game. And hockey is a game of motion. Yes, there's stoppages in play, but conceivably in hockey, and this, when was the last time you watched a basketball game? go eight, nine, ten minutes without a whistle interrupting play or somebody calling timeout, right? Very unusual. Very rare. And, uh, you know, we see in the college game, of course, even beyond the four timeouts that each team gets, there are official timeouts, TV timeouts, 16 minutes, 12 minutes, 8 minutes, 4 minutes. That's a lot of stoppages. In hockey, you can conceivably see, and it isn't all that rare to see eight, nine, ten minutes pass in a well-played game. There aren't any whistles. So I think when you get a moment like this and there is a stoppage and you're not sure if it's three to two and you're going to be shorthanded or it's three to one and for all intents and purposes, you're home clear. And a few minutes go by, and you can't be sure. And when it goes your way, I will grant that there is 
a psychological shift, or if you choose to call it a momentum shift, that's fine too. Now, Bednar was very explicit. He said his confidence level going into the challenge was high. But you have to consider the circumstances. Minnesota had already lost or was in the process of losing. They were they were down, I think, 3-1, third period. That was the final score. It, 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 there had to have been somewhere a bit of hesitation. But Bednar trusts his players. Even after calling them out after the Minnesota game. Called them out, said there are too many passengers. First two periods, called them out. But he trusted his players the other night. He trusted the right call would be made. His players trusted him, even though he hadn't been successful on a challenge in 54 games. And though I said late last week that the division race in the Central was over, not so fast. The Avalanche one point behind Minnesota, and they do have a game in hand, and they have two games coming up at San Jose against the Sharks. Tomorrow night and Thursday night, two games they should win. We'll talk more about that when we continue. I did something yesterday afternoon I have never done before in my life on a Sunday afternoon. And we'll talk about it next. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy Clough, Sean Rotar. And Sean is off today. He'll be returning tomorrow. Marty Richardson will join us in about 30 minutes from Dog Nation. Talk a little abs. Talk about some of uh, Marty's projects at the Dog Nation and his uh, candidacy for the Willie O'Ree Award. Willie O'Ree, for those not familiar, the Jackie Robinson of hockey. In the late 1950s with the Boston Bruins, Willie O'Ree broke the color line, in fact, in the National Hockey League. I want to clean up a couple of things. Uh, Earlier on in the program, we were talking about the opening of the baseball season. And I said, at all times during the baseball season, whether it's opening weekend or closing days of the season, because there are 15 teams in the National League and 15 in the American League, there's got to be at least one interleague series going on. And I mentioned the Yankees in San Francisco, both of whom, in fact, did engage in an interleague series. But there was also St. Louis, Toronto, and Texas, Philadelphia. And as a result of that Texas, Philadelphia series, there is one winless team in the National League, and that's the Philadelphia Phillies, who was swept by the Texas Rangers, who are one of three teams in Major League Baseball, all in the American League, 
undefeated. Texas at 3-0 and atop the West. Tampa Bay at 3-0 and atop the East. And Minnesota leads the Central at 3-0. and Detroit and Kansas City are winless in the American League. So we've got three teams winless, three teams undefeated out of uh, 15 series. That took place of varying length on opening weekend. Uh, the Rockies were in sole possession of first place on Friday night. Were they not? After they went to 2-0? and I believe so. Beating the Padres, but uh, they now have to share first place with the Diamondbacks, the Dodgers, and yes, the Padres after losing Saturday night 8-4 and yesterday afternoon by a score of 3-1. to But the good news for the Rockies, who are rebuilding, though they will never say so, and for more on that, uh, I advise you to pick up my high sports magazine, just out, and among other fine features in this edition of my high sports magazine, Rockies Roundtable with uh, Mark Knutson, Danilo Drew, and Sean Grotar making up the force. And they will tell you what's going on with the Rockies. To rebuild or not to rebuild. Or to admit you are rebuilding, which for some strange reason, the Rockies have always seen load to do, though across their 31-year history, they have far more often than not been doing uh, exactly that. But they split with uh, the Padres, who are one of the favorites not only in the National League West this year, but in all of Major League Baseball. Throughout the National League, and picked by some, perhaps to emerge as world champions, terrific pitching staff, pitchers Park, Petco, and San Diego, and, of course, a lineup that probably is as strong as any San Diego Padre lineup has ever been going back to their inaugural expansion year in 19. 19- 69. But Danny Bailey, I did something yesterday afternoon I have never done on a Sunday afternoon before. To be specific, a Sunday afternoon in spring. I did something. In fact, I built my day around doing something that I had never done before on a Sunday afternoon. I watched a women's basketball game from start to finish. Heck of a game to watch, too. Heck of a game to watch. National championship game. LSU. Coached by one of the premier coaches in college basketball, whether you like her manner or not. Her record is unassailable. Kim Mulkey. Back at LSU, and as it turns out yesterday, beating back the challenge of Caitlin Clark and the University of Iowa, 102-85, the national championship game, first basketball title in school history. And there were a lot of sidebar stories and interesting aspects uh, to this game. Caitlin Clark has been compared to a variety of people. 
as she has emerged as, I think, the biggest star in all of college basketball for this season. I don't think there's anybody who's even close to having the impact that Caitlin Clark has had. I said, not women's college basketball, all of college basketball. She has become ratings magic in a way that I don't know that any other individual woman has ever been. And there may be a variety of reasons for that. But the fact of the matter is it was Caitlin Clark and a supporting cast of some repute going against, as a favorite, going against LSU, a slight favorite in the championship game. And I don't believe, at least not in an NCAA championship game, a women's team has ever scored 100 points until yesterday. And LSU got to 100. And they held Caitlin Clark, who has evoked comparisons to, among others, Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic for her fundamental soundness, but most appropriately, in my opinion, Pistol Pete Maravich, who played his college ball at LSU. And if you don't know who Pete Maravich is and you don't understand why the comparisons that link Caitlin Clark to Pete Maravich make any sense, go to YouTube search for Pete Maravich, and you'll find an abundance of clips that are no more than three minutes long that capture exactly the kind of player and the artistry that Pete Maravich put on display. I will say this for Caitlin Clark, though. Maybe... In relative terms, she has a stronger supporting cast than Pete Maravich ever did, either collegiately or professionally. Maybe. And Caitlin Clark probably isn't as flashy as Pete Maravich because no one in the history of basketball played the way Pete Maravich played. But Caitlin Clark's team at Iowa is much, much stronger and wins a lot more often than any team that Pete Maravich ever played on. And she was held yesterday, held, to 30 points. Imagine that. A player on any level, male, female, being held to 30 points, and you think, boy, that's a heck of a defensive job. But what you also think, it's too bad that she was in foul trouble and that there were so many fouls called in the game yesterday. I think for anyone watching the game, it I don't think detracted from the game in the sense that the better team won. The better team did win. But I thought the officials spoiled at least some of what we were watching yesterday by being so whistle-happy. And how Caitlin Clark got a technical foul when... 
Kim Mulkey spent a good part of the afternoon on the court. More time on the court than she did within the coach's box or on the sideline, inside the sideline, and was never reprimanded by an official, much less given a technical foul. But otherwise, uh, the headline in the post today, Tigers soared a first national title. I think the women's game soared over the past few weeks. I also did something a few weeks ago that I had never uh, done before uh, on a Friday evening when CU was playing Iowa. Watch the game from start to finish. Now, maybe with Seal Barry, maybe, maybe I, I did that before, but I don't think so. Not from start to finish. Women's game is very healthy on the collegiate level, and here within the state, CU's going to have a terrific team. A lot of people coming back next year. It's going to be a big year for CU basketball. In fact, it's going to be a big year for CU between football and basketball at the very least uh, upcoming this fall and winter. Marty Richardson will join us as we continue here on Mile High Sports. Sandy and Sean, stay with us. <laughs> 